Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes episode 120, lovely to have you with us uh, on another weekend, another week in the world of golf where there's been a heap taking place, uh, Yui Porter, Elvis Smiley going to be joining us, Ali Whitaker as well on the way through to wrap up what's been a massive week in the uh, world of women's golf in particular, Mark Hayes, how are you? Hey Mari, I'm pumped, Good. I'm, I'm, I, we had the good fortune a couple of weeks ago to, to break some news around uh, Rebecca Flood. I was going to say, I was, I'm trying to figure out what it's called, but it's Rebecca Artis now, Rebecca not Artis. Rebecca Flood. I was trying to think of a, a married name, but Rebecca Artis. Um, and that that was great, but we're yep. pretty chuffed today because we've got yep. some good stuff. That's the voice of Stacey Peters that you heard sort of chipping away in the background there. How are you, Stacey? It's been too long, my friend. Good. Thanks, Murray. Thanks for uh, inviting me back again. No, no, you're never invited. It's an open <laughs> invitation. We'll have you here whenever you're available. It's uh, good that your passport's cooled down long enough for you to get here, Stacey. It has. It has been home for a little while now, so... Happy to be here. Let's not bury the lead. There's some unbelievable news. Yeah, we're really, last year, obviously, Golf Australia and, and Sundry copped some stick about the Australian Open field, whether it was warranted or not. It's up for everyone's own personal opinion, but I don't think there's any doubt that this year we're building a field that's capable of holding its own on the world stage, Andy, and there's some great news that we can announce today. Uh, we're really thrilled to announce that Sergio Garcia is coming along to the Australian Golf Club. Brilliant. Alongside C.T. Pan. Brilliant. Who's making awesome. his President's Cup debut the week la- week after that from Taiwan. Yep. Uh, he's not a newcomer to the Australian Open, Sergio is, but to have two world-class players, obviously Sergio picking up the, the, the victory in uh, the Netherlands yep. this week. Yep. So they're both coming in prime form. Uh, you know, just going to be special to have two such big talents joining the likes of who we've already announced, which, as people know, Casey Ustase and Al Smith, Leishman, and uh, Day. Mm. And there's more to come. So chuffed to be able to say that to the Inside the Ropes audience. When was the last time we had Sergio down for an Australian Open? Uh, do you know that this off the top his, of Yeah, I do. This is his first Australian his Open. first Australian Open. He's played the Australian PGA uh, in Queensland to much acclaim. Yep. And he's also played the Australian Masters. Um, people probably remember the last time he played was at Victoria Golf Club, I yep. think. Um, but that was a while ago now. Um, that might have been 2010, and the PGA probably a year or so after that. And obviously, he's won the Masters in the interim. So big news! It's mm-hmm. like I I don't know where to put him, but I think he's one of the very few people in the world who move the needle. Oh, he's a draw card. There's yeah. no question about so, that. So you know, there's Tiger, then the, and then then there's the rest, and he's in the conversation for the rest. I reckon. So chuffed to be able to to let people know that he's coming. Oh, that's super. So the field. I mean, just you just run through it. It's. I don't think we've probably done, are we? Be, no, no. I there's more to come. Some more to yeah, come. more to yeah. come. Um, I think that we can you know look towards not only the Presidents Cup team members. But also the the off course crew is for some for some new names. If people want to speculate, um, we're still having conversations ongoing with others, including Adam Scott, obviously, and yeah. and 
um, yeah, it's just looking to be an awesome tournament. And when, by the time we can announce some more names, people will just be, you know, just drooling at the mouth to oh, get to the Australian. It's exciting. Exciting it for Australian golf, isn't it? It's it gonna, is. really something to look forward to. And we're about to also soon, Andy, to announce. I'm not sure when this is going to happen. Otherwise, I would spill it right now. But the dates and sponsors, et cetera, for the, to the, for the Vic Open and for the Women's Australian Open um, in February. And the fields that we're going to have for them are going to be just, again, top notch. So this is going to be from the, you know, from the New South Wales Open on right through the summer of golf. It's going to be epic till early yeah. March. So can't wait. So Vic Open Australian Women's um, sounds like a great jumping off point to discuss what we've seen take place over in Scotland this week. I mean, Stacey, you can lead us off here. Yeah, wasn't it? Uh, this was unbelievable. This what was, an amazing weekend of it golf, was hey? It was just, yeah, even, yeah, just a spectacle, yeah. you know, just a sporting event. Like, just the way it the way it finished, I don't know how much of you guys saw it. Do you yeah, guys see it all? It. <laughs> I watched a bit of it. Same. Yeah. It was uh, right down to that last part. You never knew who was going to win. Mm. You, you really didn't. And even to the point where I'm like, Europe can't win this. Um, and then to come down to that, of course, it's going to come down to the controversial pick, isn't it? Um, oh, it was, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And then for her to hold it and announce the retirement, I don't know what I think of that, but, um, her retirement, you're referring to Suzanne Pedersen. Yes. Sorry. Um, after, yeah, her retirement, I guess. You should keep playing. Oh no, I mean the timing of it. Okay. right. The the timing of the announcement. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe take away, took away a little from the, uh, from the event itself, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, amazing, wasn't it? It was incredible. Yeah. The golf was phenomenal. Uh, you know, they're in are, really uh, difficult conditions. Like that wind oh, was. What, that you know, second day, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it affected play there for a while. But gee, they, their ball control and their ability to, to as the Americans would say, golf the ball in those conditions <laughs> uh, was just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it plays a distant relation to the Ryder Cup in promotional uh, sense. But wow. I mean, uh, that, only in the promotional sense, oh, yeah, absolutely. In all other aspects, it's it is shares equal billing. Absolutely, in terms of the passion of the crowd, the buy-in, the competitiveness of the players, the 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 way the particularly the way the Americans embrace the first tee, um, it, it's it, it's it's beautiful, like yeah. it's fun. But then the moment to tee the thing up arrives, and you can see the way the the attitude changes. Yep. And then it's on for young and old. Like it's. Would you go the chanting on the first tee, or would you want the silence, Mari? What would you go? Um, I think I'd probably prefer the silence, Stace. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Although the amount of golf we played with idiot mates of ours who never shut up. <laughs> Maybe uh, you'd be more comfortable with it's, the chanting. I think the constant noise is better than the the idiot mate who does a pretend fart noise when you're at the top of <laughs> yeah. your backswing. Mm-hmm. You know Correct. what I mean? That probably, that's yeah. probably likely to put you off. I'd like to sort of let there be rock. Coming yep. down at me, yeah, I, yeah, I love the yeah. noise. So yeah. I could see me. that for you down at Curl Lewis, Hazy. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I, look, the Solheim Cup. I mean, it was already great, but it jumped up in my estimations. I, you couldn't, and this it was a script from Hollywood. Surely, mm. I mean, yeah. you know, that last afternoon. We'll, we'll talk to Ali about it a little while, but yeah. um, that last afternoon was some of the more extraordinary team interaction and re, and swinging of the pendulum of momentum and everything like that. And yeah. you know, US was in front. Europe was in front and vice versa, vice, and it just went back and forward, back and forth to the point that Stace mentions Europe was gone. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were in trouble, in real trouble. And yeah. I heard some interesting um, feedback um, through the Golf Channel, and there was a couple of critics, including Michelle Wee, of all people, who um, were just questioning Julie Inkster's mm. um, decision to play the, the, the rookies, because they had obviously a handful of rookies, six rookies, uh, in the key spots at the back of the 12 singles players. So, 
Interesting, interesting timing. Um, but uh, you know, you can't knock a team with six rookies pushing Europe so hard on their home soil. I mean, it, it was epic golf. Yeah, and I heard a bit of criticism as well about her dropping uh, the quarter sisters. You know, on the Saturday afternoon, as well, just to give the rest. Um, I don't know when they make those sort of decisions, but you know, the quarter girls they won in the morning like mm-hmm. six and five, they so they've dominated. only played what twelve, thirteen holes. So. I don't Quiet. know if they. I don't. Quiet. Well, yeah, Quiet. I don't know yeah, if they Quiet. need much rest, yeah, no, but that was... maybe that decision is already made at that point. I'm, but, I'm not sure. But surely you can change. I mean, there's flexibility within that, isn't there? I'm I mean, sure you can, can change that at lunchtime. There's a that... time when you've got to get the team in, but between then and yeah, yeah, you can make the call. I just don't reckon you can question, question Julie Inkster too much. I mean, no. she's got the <laughs> exactly. on the board, so yeah. I mean, you can yeah. make a good point, Stace, and Michelle Wee's obviously got hers too. But I, I just think that she's earned the right to. Um, you know, do what she wants. And, exactly. you know, she was within one unbelievably played hole by Suzanne Pedersen of winning a third time in succession as captain. And this time was six rookies. So yeah. just extraordinary golf. Just, exactly. I just, I only, my only wish for this, Andy, is that it was a three tier thing like the President's yeah. Cup is yeah. given to men's team golf so that we could have an Asia or a rest of the world team. Mm. Um, I would love to see it in, in a perfect hazy world, which I know is a disgrace to a lot of people. There'd be, <laughs> The Americas, Europe and Africa, and uh, Asia, Asia, Australia, yeah. Oceania, whatever yeah. you want to say. Yeah. Um, that would be unbelievable because that, that it's the only knock on the Stolheim Cup is mm-hmm. that 10, 20, whatever the best 30 players in the world are sitting on their backside. Yeah. <laughs> so, you well, know. maybe that, I mean, the President's Cup is a relatively, you know, compared to the right, a relatively new concept. So hopefully, you know, as the women's game continues to grow and, um, you know, more demand for the product, you know, exists. Hopefully we'll get to a situation where, where that becomes a required element to international team golf. Can I just mention one? Uh, I don't think she'll never be the number one player on the planet. Um, but Georgia Hall, <laughs> she, if I, if I had to have a player go out and play around to save my life, to, to win a match to save my life, there aren't too many players I'd be giving the golf clubs to before Georgia Hall at the moment. Wow. Yeah. So she is an unbelievable fighter. I mean, she's obviously a really talented player, but, boy, she rises to occasions and hits really good shots uh, when she has to. She's a bloody fantastic player. Yeah, to go undefeated as well. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's huge. I think it's a big call, Mari, saying she's not going to be one of the best in the world. No, no, but... I, said, no, no I just said she'll – I don't think she'll – I don't know whether she'll ever be the number one – just get to the number one sure, ranking. Sure, I don't sure. know whether she'll – I don't know if she's going to be, you know, play the volume as in terms of the way the numbers work. I, I yeah. don't know. I hope, look, maybe she will, maybe she won't. But yeah. I was only there was just a kind of comparative sort of jump off point. I'd, I'd have her ahead of a lot of other players on the planet yeah. if you if Pretty you needed gutsy, someone to shoot gutsy sort of player. Yeah, probably kick things off at Vic Open, wouldn't you say? Her would, victory yeah. well, there. I think yeah. so too, Stace. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> Ali Whitaker was there. Uh, she was on the ground to soak up the whole thing. Did another magnificent job yet again, and she's been good enough to join us to have a chat about the whole thing. Uh, Ali, it was remarkable. Guys, it was the most ridiculous weekend of golf. I have to tell you that the atmosphere on site was uh, yeah, it was pretty electric on Sunday. It just looked unbelievable on telly at the start, Ali, and then it just seemed to grow and grow as the as the afternoon wore on. The crowd on around eighteen and, and seventeen, I suppose, where it also finished. Too, that was just monstrous. I can't. Yeah, well, I can't actually remember a time where the eighteen's been flooded like that after a final part in in the Home Cup. 
history. Um, it's happened in the Ryder Cup maybe kind of once or twice, but it's come down, I think, maybe to the Ryder, like the, the very, very last part of all of it. But um, it was it was just cr- it was crazy. And we had no idea what was going to happen. It, it was like everything changed in the last three minutes, which is ridiculous because we're, we're on air for nearly 30 hours <laughs> that weekend. And you, by the time you get there, you think you've kind of seen it all. And then literally the last kind of three minutes of, of the golf unfolding just kind of changed everything. And, and I think everyone was a bit shell-shocked by it all. Yeah, that's the way it seemed, Al. It was uh, literally, you didn't know who was going to win up until that, like you said, those last, well, that last putt, obviously. But um, yeah, where were yeah, you uh, Where were you in those last few moments, Al? Where were you calling from? Um, I was in the TV compound, yeah, in the commentary box. But it was like, so we were sitting there and I was working with um, with Helen Alfredson this week, who's a former um, Soham Cup captain and an eight-time player herself. And she literally, like you can actually, if you watch it back, you can hear her. She just starts bawling. She absolutely <laughs> loses it. Like, she wasn't on light, but she stood up, and she'd been pacing around the commentary box all day anyway because she's kind of – she's hard to keep still. But um, she got up, and she just starts screaming. Doogie was crying. <laughs> I was crying. <laughs> it's just one of those things where we're like, oh, gosh, we're going to try and keep it together to actually get this program done. But it was just one of those moments. And the thing that – no one else knew at the time was obviously that Suzanne Pedersen was going to retire um, after after this week. But the girls knew. And oh. so Bronte Law, who was out and in the second to last match to finish, she's out there going, I have to win this for Suzanne. Mm. Yeah, that's and awesome. So yeah. On top of all of the normal pressure, they're, they're, she's out there thinking about this. And she told me about it because um, obviously there was a very, very tiny, small gathering on Sunday night. Um, that was very well behaved. Are we going to go into more details <laughs> of that later, no Al? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, maybe. We'll get into the celebrations in a little bit. But um, no, it was just unbelievable. But just even like the storyline within the storyline there, and what a what a mic drop from Suzanne Pedersen. Yeah. That's all. It, it's the biggest mic drop ever in golf, where you just go, "Yep, that's the biggest moment of my career," and I'm out. Yeah. yeah. Which was you, which was crazy. Do you remember two weeks ago when we were talking about? Uh, feisty European players with Aza Munoz and uh, <laughs> and she and you guys were talking about Bronte Law. Um, have you ever seen a chest get pumped up so much as when she rolled in that putt on the seventeenth? <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it was just huge. It, there was, and to be honest with you, there were moments like that all throughout the week. She she is super fiery, but um, she just gets so into it. Like if you if you watched her on the first tee. So everyone else is like out there dancing and like getting into the atmosphere and talking to the crowd. And there's always this part where you kind of set up who's in, who's the battles between, you know? So you have like the two American players next to the two Europeans. And so, you know, you've got like the quarters standing there, like kind of dancing and smiling and waving to the crowd and then Carlotta waves. And it gets to Bronte and she's just standing there, absolutely deadpan, <laughs> staring down the fairway. Yep. And of course she is. Just kind of like she was there. She was there for the battle. Like she was there for business, and um, you know what? She delivered pretty well last week. Yeah, she certainly, she certainly did. Yeah. Uh, Ali, can you recall? We were speculating before, uh, although I hadn't seen something like that in any form of team golf, Ryder Cup, be what it may, Presidents Cup, a finish like that. As you mentioned a couple of times, there it wasn't done until it was done, but it it went red, blue, <laughs> red, blue. It, you didn't know where it was going to stop. 
Yeah, well, early on in the early on in the show, they started putting out maybe about a quarter of the way through the day. They started putting out the projected standings, and I started and I pointed it out because a whenever something comes up on screen, you you kind of meant to point it out in TV. And so I was on with um, Helen Alfredson and Sam Torrance at the time, and I you know and I was kind of doing the lead broadcast role. And so, you know, I was talking about the projected standings and they're like, no, 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 it's too early to do that. And I said to them, I think we're going to need those today. Mm. Like, you know, you make fun of it. But I really think that that's what I kind of just had that feeling that it was going to be crazy close. And um, there was just a bit of an energy on site where a lot of people kind of felt like there was going to be something special. And if you look at the history books, you know, there have been 15 Solheim Cups. The USA's won the singles matches kind of you know the category 10 times out of 15 they definitely had the advantage um but yeah no no home team had ever lost when tied going into the final round and that was literally the only stat that i could find that i thought could help europe (laughs) you know how you try and like you try and like swing things in people's advantage Um, commentators curse only thing that they had going for yeah exactly no (laughs) i just was looking for like a bit of a boost for them because i had all the girls texting me um, throughout the week because half of them couldn't sleep most nights and they knew I'd be out working. So <laughs> Bronte's bouncing off the walls on, on, on Thursday night before the first round and, you know, I'm like, just sit down. It's all right. You know, you don't have to sleep to get rest. It's okay. Just lie down and put your phone away. So <laughs> little things like that. But, yeah, I was, try- I was trying to give them a hand where I could, but, you know, it's pretty, pretty tricky stuff. Did the, girl, did the girl, you obviously had a big party uh, on the night. Did the girls know they'd put on such a good show or was it just an internal sort of a party? Oh, no, they knew. <laughs> they knew it was massive. Um, it was it, You couldn't avoid it because it was just one of those moments in golf where you just go, this is why we play it. Um, this is why you play and, you, and this way to watch live sport is for moments like these. And, um, yeah, it was just so special. And they, and they knew that they'd kind of pulled off the Hail Mary, I think, um, which was pretty crazy. And the party certainly reflected that, let me tell you, on Did- Sunday. <laughs> Did you pull off the Hail Mary on Sunday night? <laughs> I, you know what? I did something that no one else has ever done, and it's, and it's pulled Bronte Law off a bar. Oh, um, wow. Wow. Dancing. She was up on the bar because she's, she's kind of notorious for, uh, for being a little unpredictable. Um, but, yeah, no, she, uh, she managed to talk some reason, to, reason into her, which isn't always the easiest of, uh, easiest of tasks when we're all having fun, but, no. The dance floor was was crowded, and uh, you know everyone was getting into it. Naturally, the Segunda family were out there doing the salsa. You can picture that face; you know it very well. Oh, of course, of course, the whole family out there were they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Brother Indigo, they're actually moving to Australia now that I mentioned that. That's a conversation for another time. Before I jump on my airport bus back to uh, Edinburgh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was an epic night. I think everyone still. It was kind of like. Yesterday morning, on Monday morning, like after, A, people were still, you know, probably not entirely legal to drive. But that's, you know, I don't know who actually did. Yeah. <laughs> so that's okay. I'm not getting anyone in trouble. But everyone was kind of trying to piece together um, as a plane flies overhead. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's going through. Now we good. live scene here at, at Edinburgh Airport, you know, <laughs> it's got to be part of it. Of course. But, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just like we were all trying to piece it together. And now all of these pictures and all these photos are kind of surfacing amongst our group chats of things that we don't, didn't remember the next day. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, just uh, coming it's back quite, to you. It's quite fun. Mm. 
That's epic. Uh, yeah, but I should say actually uh, one one thing before I finish on the on the party. One thing I have to say, and usually I don't talk about this stuff, but um, one thing the party did reflect was the spirit with which the entire Solheim Cup was played. Um, after the US party finished, the majority of them came in, and all of the Europeans, everyone in there, cheered them in. Um, oh, that's and awesome! They all kind of yeah danced together and. And, uh, and had a good time. And it was just kind of like even, you know, Marina Alex came over and she was just so stoked to be a part of the moment. Even though she was on the wrong side of it, she said it was just so cool to be there and see something like that unfold. And it was just, um, yeah, some epic sportsmanship, really. She's going to get, uh, like historically, she's going to be the one that, you know, lost the crucial point. But I thought she played just unbelievable golf in the last hour. Oh, completely. Yeah, you know, and she and she held her ground yeah. um, against, you know, someone like Suzanne Pedersen, you know that when she saw the singles matches, she drew the short straw. No one wants to play Pedersen. Mm. Um, yeah. We kept saying that. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like Ali McDonald did as well going up against Bronte Law, and those two ended up being, the, you know, the final matches out there and how fitting that was in the end. Ali, I just mentioned before, before we let you go, um, there was a bit of stick, I suppose, in the American assessment of everything that went uh, went down. The criticism was that Julie Inkster might have thrown a, you know, a few of the rookies to the wolves by putting them, as you mentioned, in the last few groups on the Sunday. Um, is there, was there any talk of that, or how do you think that stacks up? Uh, no, I actually thought it was fine, to be honest with you. Um, you just, they kind of scattered, uh, there's, the, there's the 805 going to, looks like it's going to Dublin, flying out, <laughs> just flying overhead. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I took no issue with it because she kind of scattered a lot of her players throughout the lineup, and both teams did it. It's just the way that the, the draw goes because mm. you just don't know where each team's going to put their strengths. And I, and I, I actually think they might have thought that Europe would put it out early, um, if anything. But And then, you know, you kind of just want to chuck a couple at the back end just in case something like Sunday happened. But mm. um, no, I didn't really take any issue with it. But um, A pluses go from uh, for, for both quarters for me. If you look at it, they won half the points, more than half the points for the US team, just those two girls. So they get thumbs up for me while I'm thinking about it. But that's all the off topic. Yeah. No, it's all good. <laughs> Standard. I, I think that criticism's unfounded. I mean, when you've got six rookies, you've got to put them somewhere. You can't hide them. So Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, anyone from the European side that really stood out, Whitaker? You could probably say 12 names, but, uh, you know, whether it was down the stretch or anyone that we haven't touched on? Um, well, Celine, Celine Boutier and Georgia Hall both undefeated. 4-0-0, four, four, zero, zero. they played together yeah. in the first uh, three team matches. They won half the points for Europe. Yeah, both um, Vic Open champions. You know, both Vic Open, yeah, well done, well done. <laughs> Both Vic Open champions. But, yeah, I mean, I, it was just, Celine was such an unknown quantity kind of going into the week. And um, and she just went about her business and got it done. And, and of all of the players, she's the one that said openly that she struggled with nerves in the past. So we kind of didn't know if she was going to crumble on the first, but she did the, exactly the opposite. And she was just a, a total uh, quiet achiever on the European side. And But, you know, you, we're, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the those moments, the putts that drop, and I think it'll probably be Bronte Law and, and Suzanne Patterson that people go away thinking about at the uh, at the end of the week. Well, Ali, uh, we better let you go and run into that plane and catch it uh, so you can get to your next destination. We're really grateful that you found some time for us, even if it was on a bus. 
okay. Can you send me some Barocca? I'll tell you what. I'm still rough. <laughs> I need I need another couple of days. I tell you what you did do on the on the telecast before we let you go is you you, you wowed them all again with the statistics and your research. I don't know what they do compared to you over there. I reckon they're riding on your coattails. <laughs> no, I, I, was, I was flipping through the record books a lot this week, but you know, you you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss those moments. So yeah. no, it's I was just happy to be part of it all. To be honest with you, you very, very impressive. Well. Yeah, it was great work last week. We, good job. Thanks, Ali. Cheers, we, guys. We really right. appreciate you taking the time to to join us again, and well done, and well done to the girls if you see them before you get on the plane. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, guys. Take care. Thanks, Ali. Alison Whitaker joining us online from Edinburgh today. So uh, we, I wasn't sure we were going to get her there, but we've done well. Uh, Did well through between through the buses and the planes. Uh, yeah. We got her. And from one Australian commentary sensation to another, after the break, we catch up with you and Porter. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show, Inside the Ropes. Lovely to have you with us. Um, I think the last time we tried to get hold of you and Porter, who's about to join us, he may have been driving between canyons in the in Snake Valley or somewhere, Hazy. Oh, deepest, darkest Colorado. Oh. I'm not I'm not sure. I reckon he was dodging us, to be honest, Andy. But it's a great story. I mean, he was as good a player. He was a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> player when he was at his peak and uh, now doing some magnificent work. Still with golf club in hand, but predominantly with the microphone under his nose. And uh, we thought it time to catch up with him and um, see how uh, life and golf are treating him, and he's been good enough to join us on the show. You and Porter, thanks for your time on Inside the Ropes. Thank you very much for having me, Andy, Mark, Stacey. Thank you. Uh, you're, you're back in home. Whereabouts do we find you at the moment? I'm currently up on the beautiful Sunshine Coast with my uh, mother up here visiting her, and uh, it's about 30 degrees today. There's barely a cloud in the sky, and it is sensational, pardon the pun. <laughs> oh, please, you and please. <laughs> got that off, uh, got that off Patrick Yormore, actually. Ordinary thing to do to a bunch of Melburnians too, mate, at this time of year. So on a day like that, it's cr- screaming out for, it's for you to get the seven or eight clubs in the carry bag and go for a wander around the nearest golf course. Is it still something that you find yourself being drawn to do? The last two weeks I've actually done that since I've been back from overseas. Nearly every day I've, uh, I've been over there and playing seven or eight holes and maybe hitting 30 or 40 balls on the range. And I can tell you the body's feeling it because I haven't done that for a long, long time. And uh, I got to be honest, you know, when I stopped playing golf, uh, it really was the beginning of 2013. I went through the whole, I hate golf. I never want to do, I will never want to have any part of it ever again. Uh, I think with having done a few other things and just gaining a little bit of clarity, um, Maybe maturity, some would beg to differ there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I have a bit of a, a different perspective on things. And I realise that, uh, honestly, golf has given me everything. And I love the game. I love being involved with it still. It's such a great pastime. And uh, as much as I still have those competitive juices, even when I'm out playing holes, I can relish in uh, a lot of the little little things now, you know, just seeing the kangaroos out there bouncing around and uh, you know, the beautiful sunsets that uh, that go down over the golf course. Just little things like that um, really uh, float the boat these days. Because there was a time, Ewan, wasn't there, when, you know, you couldn't see the kangaroos, could you? you? 
metaphorically, like there was a time when towards the end of your full-time pro days when you weren't really enjoying it that much? Not at all. I could never have gone out for a, um, a social game with my friends. I, I couldn't have done it because even just you know, just having a hit when it meant nothing, it still meant something to me because uh, every bad shot was uh, was pretty much infiltrated with thoughts of what went wrong there and I'd overanalyze and it's... Um, it's what happens with the game of golf. You know, I never really had a lesson until I was 21 years old and uh, I just it purely winged it, you know, and I think that uh, that saying ignorance is bliss uh, really rings true a lot when it comes to golf because whenever I played poorly, I didn't overanalyze. I didn't think too much about it and I just had the belief that the next day it would be better. And um, over time, I think I... Uh, I just started to suffer from that um, paralysis by analysis. And uh, I think I'm not sure there was a golf coach that I didn't see at, uh, over the space of about two or three years. But um, I'm glad that I was able to step away from the game. And although, you know, I think I'll, I honestly think I'll miss it every, every day until I die, um, the, the game of golf uh, professionally, uh, there's a part of it that I'll definitely miss. But in saying that, I absolutely love the pathway that I'm on. And as I said, I love being involved with the game still. Well, before we ask you about those pathways mm. that you're currently on, one last question from me about that. Is it almost ironic then that you were a victim of your own natural ability in that, as Andy mentioned before, when you were playing at the height of your game, it was world-class. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I think I just... I. I I had unrealistic expectations. I think after I won that first tournament at Moona, um, then I won a second one a couple of years later and I'd played three major championships and contended in a couple of Aussie Opens. It all happened in the space of about two to three years. But it wasn't an overnight success. It, it had been... I turned pro at 19 and it was a good five or six years before uh, that first win. And everything I'd say the prime of my career all happened in about a two year span. And I was very inconsistent. If I didn't win or I didn't uh, qualify or perform really well, I generally missed the cut and I could never sort of bridge that gap. I, I, a lot of people say to me, a lot of the pros would come up to me and say, they wish they had that ability to contend and, you know, be really streaky like that. But for me, I didn't enjoy it because I didn't enjoy taking every weekend off for three or four or five weeks in a row, you know, because you never knew when that good tournament was coming. Fortunately for, for me, it did uh, on a handful of occasions, but um, yeah, look, I, I mean, to, to answer the question, I, I, perhaps, yes, uh, look, I, I'm glad that I had the success that I did. And uh, I'm certainly more proud of it now having stepped away from it because I do realize that there's a lot of golfers out there that would, you know, give up anything to be able to win a couple of times on the Corn Ferry Tour and play major championships. Um, but at the same time, I yes, I do think I put way too much pressure on myself to uh, to succeed in the end. You and know, I've mentioned that round. Um, I'm glad we've got you on. I'm glad that you mentioned Moona. I thought we we were covering that. I think it was on Channel Ten at the time, maybe One HD. And I know that you carried a heavy emotional load through that tournament when you won. But that day. That Sunday when you shot that 66 in, I don't know what the field average, I think the stroke average of the field was something like 74 and a half that day. Like it was blowing sideways. And I've said on this show a couple of times that that, to me, with, in, with my eye, 
That is the best round of golf I've ever seen anyone play. I mean, I don't know how highly you rated that 66 that day in those conditions, you know, going out to win a tournament, but uh, particularly with, you know, the loss of your mate that you spoke about after the tournament. But I'm happy to say that's the best round of golf I've ever seen anyone play. Well, thanks, Andy. I still remember you wearing your Boston Red Sox cap out on the course that day. (laughs) It's true. It's true. (laughs) It was funny because I think my my tea time that final round was was around 12 o'clock somewhere. And I remember waking up 7.30 in the morning or something, and it was just absolutely horrendous outside. And I had a one-stroke lead going into that final round, and I was just praying that they called it off because, you know, (laughs) a three-round tournament, I end up winning. Uh, But then when I realized that the players were out there and I had to get out there and do my thing, that's when I quickly changed the mindset. And I've always enjoyed playing in tough conditions because uh, you realize that the guys behind you aren't going to make a run. So therefore, as long as you don't really shoot yourself in the foot and you just grind it out, um, then you should be okay. But I think more than anything, for me anyway, I realized that there are going to be poor shots played. It is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a scramble, so to speak. And uh, I think for myself, I definitely have a much better mindset. I'm in a better frame of mind when I do uh, tee it up in tougher conditions. But that final round at Moon, yeah, there was a lot to play for because it was part of the Corn Ferry Tour and I didn't have any status on the in the US at that point. So that win uh, got me the exemption over there. And um, yeah, there was definitely a lot at stake. And I remember... Uh, our mate Jared Lyle, uh, mm. he was there in contention as well. And I just, you're right, I just lost my best mate about three or four weeks prior to that. And yeah, there was a lot going on. Um, I'd hurt my neck prior to the third round. I thought I was going to have to pull out. I rang my mother in tears, and it was uh, it was a bit of an emotional roller coaster that whole week. But um, certainly, plenty of uh, fond memories. Mm, good. So I don't really want to gloss over what happened in the, in the ensuing couple of years. But if you fast forward another couple after that. You know, you found yourself in in a position where many, um, you know, media professionals would be extremely envious of what you've been able to do there. You, how did you make the transition into what the next generation might come to know you for? Yeah, well, I realised whilst I was um, playing, I'd say the last two or three years of my uh, playing career, I had the opportunity to dabble in uh, a bit of commentary and broadcasting, and I remember it was the two thousand and ten. Australian Masters there at uh, Victoria Golf Club and I had the opportunity three of the four days to go into the commentary box for a while. Uh, Dave Maher, the, uh, one of the legendary American broadcasters who was with Golf Channel for about 17 years, he was uh, working that week and um, that was the first time I'd met Dave that he had said, he said to me uh, that you should seriously think about doing um, the television going forward, the broadcasting rap. And took me a long time when I I think just before I stopped playing I actually did work for Perth International at Lake Carignup and I I'm a pretty harsh critic of myself I don't think I did a very good job that week but I certainly enjoyed what I did um, and then I did the World Cup again in uh, at the end of 2013 down at Royal Melbourne but it wasn't until the US Open at Erin Hills in 2017 that I got another opportunity and it certainly wasn't for a lack of trying and that three and a half to four years in between, it was uh, it was not only a journey of self-discovery, but there were some absolutely horrible, horrible times as well. Um, just not knowing which direction my life was, was going. Uh, I, I knew what I wanted to do deep down, but all of a sudden I went from 
being in control of my destiny to really relying on someone to give me the opportunity. Yeah. And when that opportunity wasn't coming, uh, I, I think maybe at first I felt um, like I was owed something, which was a wrong mentality um, because I'd played fairly well. And because I'd had a couple of decent results, I thought I was owed something, but um, yeah, I just, it just wasn't happening. So I kept chipping away. I kept grinding away. I kept networking. I was, I flew multiple times to the United States just simply to have meetings. And um, eventually I got that break in 2017 with the USGA. And uh, I, I only was really agreed to do, I only agreed to do that event, the, the US Open. Um, but fortunately I got to work alongside an old friend of mine, Ned Michaels, we played on the Asian tour together many years ago. And uh, they asked if we wanted to do the US Women's Open after it. And from there, everything just snowballed. I got asked to do the US PGA Championship. From there, I got asked to do the Channel 7 coverage out here. And that's pretty much how um, everything's uh, sort of gathered momentum the last couple of years. And I'm in a position now where I'm going to be doing quite a bit in Europe next year. I'll be doing the... uh, probably covering PGA Tour Live again in the US as well as the major championships. And I, I, I love it. You know, I, I can't stress enough just uh, just how much of a thrill and how much enjoyment I get from being out there still amongst the action and chatting to the players. And I could certainly sense when I stopped playing at the age of 30 that there was a bit of a, a, bit of a, a niche there for someone my age to get out there who was familiar with both the older and the younger generation. We're seeing it a little bit more now. Of course, um, Ali, Alison Whitaker, of course, she's doing a, a wonderful job. And I think Ali's maybe two or three years younger than I am. Um, but I could certainly sense it coming a few years ago. I just, I saw how competitive golf was getting and how much tougher it was getting to retain your card out there on the on the PGA Tour. And I just I had this inkling back then that most golfers, that's golf's all they know. So when... Uh, when things start going a little bit south, well, having only ever known golf, well, then I guess the broadcasting and, and the commentary sort of a natural um, uh, sort of fallback uh, to, to the line of work to go into. And I just, I didn't want to be that guy at 35 or 40 jostling for positions. So thankfully I sort of got my foot in the door early courtesy of that opportunity in the U S and um, I just, I love the idea that I've, I've got to prepare for it. I love the idea that I study hard for it. Um, I get to know the guys a little bit more intimately, and uh, it's it's a job that I want to do uh, to the best of my ability. Just spill the beans, mate. Joe Buck on golf. How does that work yeah. for you? Yeah, come on. <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting one. Uh, the way the Fox and the USGA deal is when you're listening in here to the US Open coverage, it sounds like we're all working together, and we are to some degree. But when basically when you hear myself or Ned Michaels during the coverage, we're, fill, we're filling in for the Fox ad breaks in the US and any other sponsor elements uh, throughout their coverage. Um, I had never heard any of my commentary back until a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. My mum had actually recorded the, the US Open from Pebble Beach this year and I listened back and we definitely got a, a, a pretty good run. But... Um, yeah, Joe's. Uh, I think he's Joe's. An, he's a consummate professional at hosting. He's very good at what he does. I, I don't mind his work. I think I see it maybe from a different perspective because I know that hosting 
is a uh, is a very difficult job and i've sat alongside uh you know todd woodbridge here in australia and um you know todd's just hosted the ashes cricket he's he's hosted the pga tv stuff with me the last couple of years and i just have the utmost respect for what guys like that do because it's not easy and joe certainly does his research he's out there um walking the golf course early he gets to know the players and uh you know, full full credit to him for doing that. You should see Andy now. He's oh, che- I just want to know che- his chest is out. You've pumped, oh, no. you've pumped hosts up like you couldn't <laughs> no, believe, and he is absolutely on top of the world. I just want—is he? he a good bloke? Uh, like you know, in the, in the classic Australian vernacular, is he is he a decent fella? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Absolutely, he's a decent fella. Yeah, no question. Good. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> and you and you're uh, you're going to be involved in a new uh, a junior tournament coming up. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the Junior Sixes Invitational at Cronulla Golf Club in Sydney next month. Uh, this is something that I'm uh, I, I'm I'm so proud of. Uh, more proud than anything that I've ever achieved personally, and it's it's been something where it's given me an opportunity to honour my late father and also give back to everyone that contributed to me and my pathway in golf. So. You've got the Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation, Golf New South Wales, the PGA Tour of Australasia, who are all contributing to this tournament. And let's say for the last three or four years, I've wanted to, I don't know whether host a junior tournament is the right word, but I've wanted to, to do something with a junior tournament. But I, don't, I didn't want it to be just another 18-hole junior tournament where the winner gets a $50 voucher or something. I wanted to do something that's sustainable. I wanted it. I wanted to give kids unprecedented opportunities and... Of course, it, it it takes a lot more than one person's aspirations uh, to be able to do that, hence where all the other um, organisations uh, come on board. So Cronulla Golf Club in Sydney, I was a member there for 13 years. I haven't been a member there for 11 years now, but um, I've still got a lot of connections there. And when I had this idea of putting together a junior tournament, Cronulla Golf Club initially liked the idea. Then I touched base with the Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation, who in turn said, "Well, if you can, you know, get your ideas off the ground, we'll uh, we'll certainly uh, throw it on our schedule and uh, support it." And then I contacted Golf New South Wales and I said, "Look, I want the winner of the, I, w- I want the winner of the boys, winner of the girls to receive invitations into the New South Wales Open and Women's Open. Um, it's going to be an elite field um, only tournament, so you're going to get a quali- high quality uh, champion." And they agreed to it. So I flew down to Sydney uh, a couple of times just to uh, to meet with each party. Everyone uh, jumped on board. And over the last four or five months, uh, even whilst I've been overseas, I've been constantly communicating with everybody, trying to get things in order. Um, the PGA Tour of Australasia have agreed as well that the, the boys' champion will receive an invite to the Gippsland Super 6 in November, which is a a new tour event and the ALPG have said that um, the winner of the girls will get an invitation to play the Canberra classic on, on their schedule early next year. And it's basically a, a format, which is a bit of a hybrid of the Victorian open and the world super six Perth, where you've got 36 boys, 36 girls. Uh, they'll be playing 36 holes stroke play. And then the top eight boys, top eight girls will go into sixes match play. The winner will receive the Norm Porter Memorial Trophy and also uh, gain those uh, aforementioned exemptions. And 
it's just like we've got the support of Titleist who are giving each participant a dozen balls, a hat and a backpack. We've got a major sponsor and we've got the current Australian junior champions, Elvis Smiley and High Park playing, as well as a host of other top um, interstate juniors. And I think they're, uh, I think they're all going to come and uh, just have the time of their lives. It's uh, something that's pretty unique and it's something that, where I'm certainly extremely proud of uh, what we've done for its inaugural year. We've got ambassadors, Todd Woodbridge, Nico Hearn, Usman Kawaja, Sarah Camp, uh, Brayton Astor. So we've got a lot of um, high-profile people singing its praises. And uh, from this point forward, I I want it to continue to grow. And uh, as far as a, from a prestige standpoint, nothing's going to... Um, get bigger than the Australian Junior Championship and nor should it because that's our national junior title but from an opportunity standpoint uh, that's where I want this tournament to be something that uh, just continues to grow and it's something that the kids pretty much mark down at the top of their priority list at the beginning of each year. Well sure. done. I'm sure uh, yeah. the old man would be enormously proud of you, mate. It sounds like a heap of work's gone into it, and it's a really great concept, and hopefully it just becomes a standard part of the Australian golfing calendar, mate. It's, uh, you should be, uh, as you rightfully sound like you are, you should be really proud of what you've been able to do. Um, yeah, you watch a lot of golf. Who's going to be – how many majors will Brooks win by the time he hangs them up? Give me a number. Eight. Okay. You happy with that? Uh, eight. I, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a couple either way of that. Um, he just has, of course, he's got the complete game. It's it's that mentality. Uh, I mean, he is such an imposing, intimidating figure. And I've never seen anyone like it where he can play the Canadian, Canadian Open, hit balls in penalty areas and three putt and finish 55th. And one day later, he's on side at Pebble Beach and it, Whatever happened the day before is like it happened 10 years ago. It, it's completely irrelevant because all of a sudden he's on the biggest stage and he knows that um, he's the man to beat. It's phenomenal because even Tiger, Tiger would win the Canadian Open and then go and win the US Open. Yeah. Tiger would win everything he teed it up in. Kepka is just the big the big boy. You know, he wears his big boy pants when he steps onto <laughs> these big parks in uh, big tournaments. And, you know, you've got to give him full credit for it. You and I were sort of watching at different times Kepka hit balls on the range at Pebble Beach. He He's imposing. Like, I think it scares other people, you and doesn't it? Like, if they're sitting there watching him crank out 320-meter drives that land within five metres five meters of each other for the 20 minutes, it's pretty imposing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, he's got every shot in the bag as well. And uh, I think that's a, a testament to the fact that he... Uh, played a lot in Europe, played his first yeah. couple of years over there in Europe and developed an all-round game. And uh, he's won in, I believe it's eight or nine different countries, which is uh, very commendable. He's not just one-dimensional and uh, definitely going to get his hands on a few more major titles, I think. And now that you're on, you know, per- well, seemingly permanently on the other side of the spectrum now and you're commentating on the game as opposed to playing, it is enough being done is there a willingness enough amongst enough of the parties involved to um, to improve, you know, the one thing that we talk about more than anything here, pace of play? Um, in Europe, uh, yes, uh, the ball is rolling and uh, you've got to give them credit for that. Uh, in America, no. Um, Slugger White, the PGA Tour rules official, he's sort of the, the head honcho of rules over there. He's reluctant to give 
any player a penalty at any stage in the proceedings because he doesn't want it to cost, um, hypothetically cost someone their job. But I think he's got the wrong uh, mindset there because if Bryson DeChambeau and that clip that went viral, I was calling that. I was standing 30 mm. feet from him, 40 feet from him when he was doing that. Yeah. And that that was it was pretty distressing to watch. Uh, Justin Thomas had already putted out. Tommy Fleetwood was there on the cut line with a four foot putt. And I mean, Tommy Fleetwood obviously is uh, you know one of the top 20, top 10 players in the world. So him keeping his card, that's not a, an issue at this point. But if Tommy Fleetwood is someone who is 125th, 126th on the money list, and Bryson DeChambeau is taking three minutes to hit a six foot putt, that's not fair on the playing partner. And, uh, you know, we all talk about the, the shot clocks in tennis. There's a shot clock in football and uh, the NFL. And look, I, I I don't see why golf shouldn't have some sort of time limit. Um, I never thought it would come to this 15, 20 years ago. Um, but pace of play has just progressively gotten worse and worse and deteriorated to a point where it's effectively cheating the other players. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not fair. And I think they need to start imposing penalties worldwide. So I wanted to absolutely commend you for your commentary on that, <laughs> on that matter, yep. like a hundred percent commendation. Are you more broadly there? Are you given instructions as to what you can and can't say uh, in delicate matters around not only pace of play, but other issues in golf? Um, well, put it this way: When I worked for PGA Tour Live in in the US, um, they're very PGA Tour, understandably, are very protective of their players. And for example, when I, I, I guess you could say I called Bryson out. I didn't. It, it was nothing too um, harsh. I just said to him. I, I, I just said on air. I said, uh, you know, I'd love to see Bryson go and play a few holes with his buddies and take a six pack of um, beer with him. I, I just don't think he could do it because he's so analytical about every single shot the process that goes into it. And it just generally sparked a bit of banter between myself and the other commentators. And I, yeah, I kind of lost train of thought there, but um, I, I think the, I think the PGA tour, they're very protective of their, um, of their players. And another thing that I don't enjoy seeing, and I'll be honest is seeing the likes of DJ and Kepka and Tiger just constantly spitting. It's one of the most disgusting habits. That, <laughs> It's oh, it, it makes me cringe thinking about it. Um, but I think honesty in the broadcasting booth could be something that um, is you know put out there a little bit more. I, I think everyone is yeah, perhaps just a little um, afraid to say the wrong thing, and understandably too, because um, you don't want to say the wrong thing and get fired, of course. But um, I think if you can, someone like a Brandel Chambly does a wonderful job. I think of backing up his. Uh, backing up his statements and his comments with facts. And I think if you can do that, then um, then you're going to be okay. Well, mate, keep up the good work um, on the course, behind the mic, and uh, promoting um, you know the next level of junior golfers in Australia. It's uh, You've got your hands full, but um, and I think I can speak on behalf of everybody. It's great to hear that you've got an enthusiasm in your voice for the game of golf that you're such a magnificent practitioner at it. You're uh, at the peak, mate. So uh, great to catch up with you on the show. Thanks for giving us so much of your time today. Uh, Get back to that Sunshine Coast sunshine, and um, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for being part of it. 
Oh, thanks, guys, and I appreciate the kind words. All the best. Good on you. You and Porter joining us on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. Welcome back to the show. Um, a few bits and pieces we've got to tidy up uh, on the other side of our next special guest on the show. And this is one that you demanded about six months ago we put in the black book. Yeah, I'm, I'm really um, positive about yes. our next guest. I've got, yes. a, I've got a, not, expectations is the wrong word. Hopes. High, high hopes. High hopes. For what uh, Elvis Smiley could become. And we're really thrilled because I don't reckon this is going to be the last time he's on the podcast, Andy. But we're really delighted to have Elvis Smiley join us on Inside the Ropes for the first time. G'day, Elvis. Hey guys, thanks for having my, me on the show. Mate, it's been a big year for you. Um, I don't know what the biggest thing is. We could probably start with the obvious is winning the Australian Junior Championship and all the doors that's opened up for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going back to April was a really special week to be able to do it at Southport. Uh, in front of family and friends, it was, it was an amazing week and it's definitely opened a lot of doors up for me. So, yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, one of those doors being the Australian oh, Open, and we'll, we'll talk about different things here, but one of those doors is the Australian Open, um, which must yeah. be a real buzz for you, but it comes with a big caveat that I know Andy's very keen to discuss with you. So, Elvis, just the important stuff to begin with, if you don't mind. Can you confirm to us that you will be using um, the talents of Mike Clayton as your caddy? <laughs> I'll definitely be using Mike Clayton as my caddy. He's uh, he's full of knowledge and he's uh, he's seen the Australian Golf Club a lot of times and it'll be awesome to have him on the bag that week. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's all true. We're not going to argue with any of that, but he's also <laughs> full of long pants and he doesn't wear shorts <laughs> as a caddy, Elvis. And I think that, I know you're a man, you know, young of years, but uh, you are high in influence here. I think you should demand that Mike Clayton wears shorts for you as he carries your bag at the <laughs> Open. Can you can you do that on behalf of all lovers of the game? I'll try my best. I'll try my best. <laughs> Has the, have those legs ever seen sun, do we think? Oh, I think they were last oh. used as a sight screen at the MCG. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe see what you can do, Elvis. I'll, I'll do what I can. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts about the tournament, Elvis? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a chance to play. You've seen the field building. We've spoke about it earlier in the podcast. Uh, it's a real, it's going to be a really big occasion. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's a lot of strong guys playing this year. Obviously, uh, the President's Cup the week after. So you're going to get some of the international guys playing at the Australian Open, which I'm really excited about um, putting my game to the test against some of the, the best golfers in the world. So it's going to be such a great week. And um, yeah, I can't wait for it. How much, sorry, Hazy, how much time have you spent at that golf club? Uh, not much. I'm actually going down there. Um, I've got an event, uh, the Junior Sixers Invitational, which is um, Ewan Porter's running the event, who's a really well-known commentator and ex-player himself. Um, I'll try and go down there a couple of days after that tournament and and play the Australian Golf Club. So it'll be good. 
cross promotion here. No, no, we've already seen it. It's amazing. We, we just went we just went over that with you in a few minutes ago, actually, Elvis, which you're not to know about, of course. Mate, um, yep. you've also just come back from another huge uh, thing in your world in 2019, which was the chance to take up the Cameron Smith Scholarship with Tyler Duncan over it, uh, in Florida. Yeah, yeah, that was such an amazing experience. I mean, for Cam to open up his house for the week um, for, for Tyler and I and let us come over and train with him and, and play with him at TPC, it was just a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. And, um, yeah, I can use that for my game right now and... It was just words can't describe how amazing it was. I just can't thank him enough for what he's done for junior golf. And, yeah, it's been awesome to see him progress over all these years. What is uh, one of the main things you take from the week, uh, Elvis? Is it to do with your preparation or how he goes about his practice? What are some of the main things you took? Um, I think his ability to be able to flick a switch as soon as he gets off the golf course. Um, He does a really good job on separating his golf life and his non-golf life. Um, I think we rarely talked about golfing away from golf, um, but it's just like his shots, um, like he's really solid inside of 100 metres. I mean, um, say if he had a shot from like 70 metres, he would probably cycle between three clubs trying to find the perfect shot um, suited, obviously, for where the pin is and how much room he had worked with. It's just just little decisions like that um, just shows you why he's one of the best golfers in the world. So. It's, it's all ahead of you, obviously. He's such a young man, but does it whet your appetite a little bit when you when you see what it looks like? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's where I want to be. I want to be in his shoes in a couple of years' time. Um, he's living the life, and I just got to keep working hard um, from my end and keep doing all the one percenters, and I'll, I'll have a pretty good shot at getting there. So, yeah, it's it's. It was awesome just to get an inside of that. If you make the big time, Elvis, do you reckon we could find you a house that's not in the Hurricane Alley? <laughs> it definitely didn't help with the hurricane nearby. <laughs> so what happened yeah, there? Because you, um, you, you know, it was obviously due to hit Jacksonville, and it, and, and it sort of did and sort of didn't. But you were right in the firing yeah. line when you got there, weren't you? Yeah. So we uh, we arrived on the Sunday night there, and um, we we're under mandatory evacuation, which pretty much meant that all the golf courses were shut. And pretty much the whole town was like a ghost town. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we ended up actually driving down to Tampa, uh, which was about four and a half hours south of Sawgrass, where Cam lives. And uh, we ended up playing the Concession, which is a really well-known golf course. Um, if you just flash back to 1969 at Ryder Cup there. So um, that was an amazing golf course to play. And so, yeah. You remember uh, that Ryder Cup, yeah, Elvis? I'm sure he would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, uh, I've done my research. <laughs> that was smooth. That was that good. Was impressive. Yeah. Um, and I heard uh, that Cam was playing a few bets with you boys, and you guys might have taken some cash. Is that correct, Elvis? <laughs> yeah, you're right, Stacey. So, um, on, one of the, on one of the mornings at TPC, he actually said to Tyler and myself, um, "All right, guys, so." For every birdie you make is a hundred dollars in the pro shop at TPC. Um, wow! So we uh, we took that opportunity up pretty well, and Tyler and I both had six birdies that day. So I'm sure and, that doesn't. And I'm did sure you that spend... doesn't breach breach no, no, status no, or anything no. like that. No, 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 <laughs> no. And uh, <laughs> you didn't. I mean, you wouldn't have spent all of that, would you? No, no, I, I certainly kind not. Of felt bad. <laughs> I kind of felt a little bit bad. Only for a second. Did one of those yeah, birdies? Yeah. Did one of those birdies come on the island hole, mate? 
Yeah, actually, uh, I finished uh, Birdie Birdie, so it was really nice. <laughs> I birdie Nation as well. So what did you hit nice in there? That. Uh, I think I hit a little punch pitching wedge to about, it wasn't the best shot, maybe like 15 foot, and then we actually all made birdie the same day on 17, so it was pretty cool to do that. Hey, so, one, one wow. quick, that's awesome, by the way. What, just last one from me before before I let you go. The, the, this whole yeah. golf tennis thing that's going on at the moment, there's another family going okay uh, in Australian golf, <laughs> son and daughter, yeah. uh, over in other parts of the world. And we know about your mum, of course, the famous yeah. surname you carry. This, there's something going on here. Maybe if we were in China where they like to put – the sire with the mum the and the dad together to try and produce something that's kind of genetically gifted. We might be in, in trying to find a golfer. We, this might be the way to go these days, get a some sort of tennis bloodline flowing through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously with Gabby's success winning the US Women's Am and then Ryan's obviously doing really well. It's just something about golf and tennis is just a, just a thing now. So it's good though. It's good. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. So, yeah. Well, we haven't offended China there, have we, by any chance? Well, I don't know. The, blood, the bloodstock industry might be giving you a call in yeah, a couple well, of years. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a bit. Anyway, I'll move on. <laughs> Elvis, we know you've got something pretty uh, important to attend to, so we should let you go. But we really appreciate you joining us, and we're, we, uh, we, we're certain that you'll be back on Inside the Ropes at another time in the future. Thank you so much. Congrats, and look forward to everything you're putting out in later in the 2019 season. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, there is an impressive young man, Elvis Smiley. Uh, the way he just switched into historian mode, that was unbelievably impressive. Uh, talking about the 1969 Ryder Cup, the way he did. Yeah, he spoke of it like as though he was there, didn't he? I don't know if you guys remembered, but... <laughs> I'd be lucky to remember the Ryder Cup in Paris, let alone uh, one that was happened... Oh. What, when do you reckon he was born? He was born who, this century. So who can ever forget years. when Lee Trevino took Tony Jacklin <laughs> up the 18th? You know, I mean. I thought he was going to lead into that's how the golf course became called concession. He didn't actually go into more details about that. but uh, You sound like you know the story behind that, don't you? Well, I'm led to believe that that is why that the golf course is called yeah, concession. Oh. From that oh. putt, that famous putt in 1969. He is an impressive young impressive fellow. Impressive of you too. <laughs> That's, yeah, that oh, is... hazy as if you don't know that one. Everybody knows that. Um, it was impressive. So impressive. What, have you got it? He, he was clearly reluctant to tell us everything about what happened in the pro shop. But um, <laughs> have you got any details on on the pro shop activity? Uh, I just heard a whisper that Cam did put that out to the boys. That um, bit of motivation for them. I don't know if that he was expecting them to both make six birdies each. <laughs> but uh, that's one thousand two hundred um, US. By I way. think that's Cam exactly. Yeah. I think that's Cam to a T. Just a great host, and I am led to believe that the boys did go and spend the majority of that in the pro shop. Well, so yes. wouldn't you guys? I would. Come on. I'd have no Elvis hesitation. said he was feeling bad, but do we think he was? No, I don't, I don't, think I don't so. believe so. That, that so might, good on Cam. Twelve hundred bucks. It's probably about three polo shirts at the. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> it's a very good point. Uh, I just I couldn't be more full of praise. I mean, I'm wrapped for Tyler and Elvis, but I couldn't be more full of praise for Cam. I mean, he's doing thing. that all off his own bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and to talk to him about it, he's actually chuffed when the kids come over because it gets to be a bit of a, a larrikin. As we heard on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know they mm-hmm. they keep him loose and and that really was all his idea. Yeah, you know, he went to Tony Meyer and he was like, "We've got to do this. We've got to, you know, we've got to make this happen." And then when Tony was leaving this one time, he's like, "Make sure we make this happen with the kids." So he was really, he's been the one that's really pushed for it. So yeah, no, it's a great thing. It's he's, good. And he started off well, Andy, I'm going to, I'm going to cut your lunch with, uh, you know, linking things together here. He started yeah. off his season at the Greenbrier this week, Cam well, Smith. Well, that is a very nice 
Segway? Fluid segue from you. Thank you very much. Uh, so take us into the Green Briar, will you please? Well, uh, great It's all result. started again, by the way. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Started the season. And what are we? We're in uh, second week of September. Yeah. I, I, I just don't know what it achieves um, in terms of its media reach or anything like that. But having said that, it's really important for a whole heap of players who are trying to uh, make hay here before the, the, the Kepkas of the world come back and uh, start throwing their weight around. And one of the guys who did that so effectively this week was our own Matt Jones. Yeah, yeah good result. So um, Cam Smith finished 24th, Rian Gibson 57th, and Cam Percy 63rd. But Matt Jones, who didn't have his car this time last year, Andy, like mm. he had a you know, different status, only partial status on the tour, earned it all back, and he's making hay right now. So a great start. He's going down to Sanderson Farms this week. Um, and if he can get another result there... He's well on his way to getting his card for the next season already, and that's that's tremendous. And there might be a bit of local interest, and I say local in inverted commas based on the winner. Um, there might be yeah. in terms of from a president president's cup perspective. Yeah, Joaquin Neiman, who was the number one amateur in the world a couple of years ago, and a bloke about whom uh, has been nothing but praise for about five years Ugh. from Chile. Uh, I think he put a couple of good efforts in, but didn't put four rounds together. Uh, but at the Greenbrier, despite a couple of hiccups, I would say sort of early in the third round, um, he still went on and pants, to be honest. He pants that field. It's won by six shots at 21 under. Uh, and it, as you mentioned, that puts him right in the frame, in my opinion, to get a call from Ernie Els. Uh, he, he, Ernie has said he wants people in form uh, that represent the world, um, the different corners of the globe mm. for the international team, and he's ticking both those boxes. And if, if he doesn't make it this time... I reckon he's one we can whack in the black book comfortably as someone who's going to be doing this a lot more in years to come. Mm. Here, here. Um, we talked about uh, Europe earlier. Jake McLeod, um, a really positive result for him over here. This is a pretty deep field. There's some good players yeah. turning it up in the KLM. And for him to finish top 30 uh, and bank a check and see his name surround either side, surrounded by genuinely world-class players, hopefully he takes enormous confidence out of this. Uh, and with the PM, BMW PGA Championship, whatever you call it, the the European PGA Championship mm. next week, this coming week now, um, you're right. Everyone's there who wants to be a European superstar. So really good result. Keeps him within touching distance. Admittedly, it's a bit of a long reach, but within touching distance of the top 110 or 15 that get their cards. So really important for Jake McLeod. Mm. Really a solid effort. The only Australian to make the cut over in the Netherlands. Deep. Well, what happened to Harrison Endicott? That was a question without notice. Do you know what happened to him? No, I do not. He I was eight over know. through 11. He was going well. He was six under through three rounds, and then he was eight over through 11. And I meant to try and find I was hoping one of you two would know. No, he withdrew sorry. in the final. So clearly, I think he's he was injured. He's injured himself. Yeah, I don't know the details. I was meant to tweet him yesterday, and I forgot. So I apologize. We'll find, maybe we'll, we'll put that on board for next week, maybe. Yeah, good idea. Um, your mate from – there's going to be a couple of Australians kicking themselves off this one. Dane, your mate from Kerr Lewis. Oh, yeah. Bogey, bogey, the last two holes <laughs> on Friday to miss the cup by one. And it's brutal, pa- isn't it? Because, I mean, 71-72, oh. it's just hard yakka. You know, and just, and then Dimmy Papadatis bogeyed 18 on the Friday, missed by one. So there's a couple of, and you know, you just, you get in the weekend and then the story starts again. Obviously you can, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to win the thing, but you want to bank, you want to make some money, obviously get to the weekend, get a check and hopefully produce a couple of rounds on the weekend that see you, you know, pile drive your way through the field. And uh, it's impossible to do that when you're, 
when you burp up all over yourself on the yeah. last hole on the Friday, which both of those places did, unfortunately. And speaking of your man, well, your man, James Marcazzani, yeah, was the was the best performed Australian, uh, arguably in the world of golf. If you if you relegate Matt Jones, anyhow, uh, James Marcazzani finished tied for third in the Haiku Classic on the PGA Tour China. Great. Um, we'll double check with um, with how the standings are going there in terms of getting your card up on the on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour mm. at the end of this top five, just like the Latino and the and the McKenzie Tour. Uh, James Marcazzani's had a couple of good results. So I will do that on the research front too, Andy. Charlie Dan from Queensland tied sixth. Chris Wood, 13th. Bryden McPherson, our own, tied 14th. And South Australian Max McArdle uh, tied for 30th there as well. Okay, so there's a bit to look forward to there. Um, other general business. Can I, can I just give a shit? Go on. Yeah, what do you got? I was just going to mention on the Japan front. Yep. As uh, Karis Davidson, unfortunately, missed a cut by one. Went 77-70 to miss by one. <sighs> um, one by NASA, um, who is coached by Gareth Jones. Yeah. Um, one by eight she that's, did on the a, weekend. That's a... Yeah, that's a <laughs> Rollicking victory, pretty, isn't it? Uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. That's an example yeah. of what we were talking about before with the, the depth of Asian golf. Um, yeah. You know, she's obviously taken a week off the LPGA Tour, not being able to play the Solime Cup, mm-hmm. and goes home and goes bang. Yeah. And wins. Yeah. Sp- yeah, it is, isn't it? It's. Yeah. Um, she's won some extraordinary amount of tournaments yeah. in Japan already. I think it's. What, how yeah. old is she? 21? 20? 20, 21, yeah. yeah. She's won like five times or something on the Japan Ladies PGA. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Outside of what she's done on yeah, LPGA. Yeah, that's considering she's, you know, she's away from home yeah. 40 weeks of the year, yeah, so it's yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. So. yeah, Can I just plant the seed, and it's getting to that point of the year, right? You and I were having a chat about this last week, Hazy, but the longest day, which is something that I'm sure everybody here at um, Inside the Ropes is, is behind, and uh, I think it's going national this year. It's predominantly been a Victorian, um, you know, concern for the last couple of years and the first four years I think we've been going now, but... Uh, we're trying to get you know everybody around Australia involved in this now. Seventy-two holes in a day. Uh, pick a day, the, preferably the last week of the year before you know the week before Christmas. Uh, play seventy holes in a day. Walk it. Um, raise some money. Uh, do whatever you can. Uh, raise awareness for um, for cancer research. Uh, it's linked to the Cancer Council of Victoria, but I'm sure that other state bodies around Australia are getting behind this. Uh, if you've heard about it and you've thought about it, I know you've done it before, Stace. I have. Uh, you and I have made a bit of a habit of doing this the last mm-hmm. couple of years together, Hazy, down at your great and very friendly uh, golf club. Um, we'll be doing it again this year. If, you, if you've thought about doing it, but for one reason or another you haven't, just do it. Mm-hmm. Just get, get just do it. Oh, the sense of satisfaction. It's a great day. It is. We, yeah, you might struggle the last few holes, but uh, yeah. it is. Oh, Stace did with it. A couple of, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, Four different courses, didn't you? Yeah, we did. That's we asking did. that's asking an awful lot of yourself, I reckon. Yeah, we uh, we went uh, Cheltenham Golf Club, Victoria Golf Club, Royal East, Royal West. Well, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Yeah. Uh, not bad golf no, courses to do it at either. <laughs> you're going so it there. was fun. I'd like to do it again like that. Yeah, you know. Play uh, three courses or four courses that are close together. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, it's, but if you can, just go to your, just Google it, you know, the longest day. You'll find all of the details uh, and uh, get involved. Last piece of business. We um, we love feedback and we love all sorts of feedback, whether it's positive or negative. Absolutely. And Scott Warren is a regular listener to the show. I don't know, Scott. I don't know no. whether you do. but no, I don't. Last week on the show, we were talking about Matt Kucha, who's had a couple of um, – incidents in the last 12 to 18 months that have raised the eyebrows of golf fans and 
uh, Scott Warren's view was that you in particular, Hazy, but I reckon we all carry the same responsibility for this one, were, were much harder on Matt Kucha uh, than we were 18 months ago, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, whatever it was, on uh, Lucas Herbert uh, for the incident that Herbert found himself in the middle of over in Might Dubai. Might have been this year. Might have been. Might have been the start of this year. It actually was. Um, Perhaps double standards, you know, looking after a GA guy, looking after an Australian kid, um, asking not the same questions or not taking nearly as hard a line on Herbert as we did on Kucha. Um, You responded on Twitter. Is there something you want to say about that? Oh, no. Firstly, I I encourage all people to give feedback, good and bad. Uh, That's an opinion an opinion mm. on uh, Matt Kuchar and I stand by it. I'm not resiling from it. Um, I also have an opinion on Lucas Herbert, which I gave on the show that one tends to be Australian. One's American is really inconsequential. If um, you know, in this instance, if Lucas, uh, you know, stumped up and answered the questions I've nothing but praise. And I would never look at a bloke in the eye, ask him a question. Um, you know, if I was doing a Dorothy, Dorothy Dixer, it would be against my yep. um, you know, ethics as a journalist, as we were talking about with you in a little while ago, but um, you know, I, I can see that people would have a different opinion, but it is an opinion. Um, so, you know, when we get down to tin tax, and you and I have spoken about this in other forums, Andy, social media is not for, you know, name calling and, no. and abuse. It's an exchange of opinions, and I think we need to keep it at that. That said, by all means, ring in and pot us. It's not a problem. I'm, I've got no questions with being potted. I just think we need to make sure that. Um, I'm not sure what your thoughts on that are, but, you know, they are confined as opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it doesn't always stay uh, as such on social media, but that, that's the nature of the beast. Uh, the, what I'd say about the two, you know, in comparison with one another is that I'd like to think that we did call out, you know, the Herbert um, decision in Dubai, and we did raise questions about it. Um, to Lucas's credit, he was prepared. In fact, he as soon as he got, he listened to the criticism or the observations. He got off the plane and came straight in. Yeah, he called yeah. me to come in. Yeah, I, I, I want to come in. If you recall, I happen to be coming back on a Tuesday. I know that's when you record the show. Can I come in and have a chat about it? He 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 fronted up. He answered the questions, and he will now be judged against what he said in defence of himself, hmm. and he will be judged um, against that action that saw him penalised from Dubai. The difference at this stage between Lucas Herbert and Matt Kuchar is that we're talking about a one-off incident in Herbert's case, whereas with Kuchar in recent times, there's been... Where he took a two-shot penalty. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Uh, in Kuchar's case, the pebbles, the caddy, the uh, multiple rulings when one, two, three rulings weren't enough. There's been a couple of strikes against the kind of the reputation of Matt Kuchar, if you like, in recent times. So um, that's where I'll leave that. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll just wait and see, you know, how Lucas Herbert um, carries himself on golf courses and in golf tournaments for the rest of his life. And hopefully he's learnt a really valuable lesson from the incident that he found himself in the middle of. Clearly Matt Kuchar at the moment is prepared to push boundaries and challenge the spirit of the game and um, upset the caddying fraternity around the world. So we'll just, you know, at a time when he probably should know better and can probably afford to um, pay the caddy was, well, better. Anyway, let's not go over old ground, you know. <laughs> so that's, we'll leave it at that. But, but, but my, yeah. my job, if you're going back to that, Andy, is my job is to promote with my, you know, Golf Australia hat on is to promote Australian golf. You know, my job is not to promote single individual golfers, nor, hmm. nor be their 
defense lawyer or anything like that. So, you know, there's, I will, I will stand up and fight for them mm. when, when it's required, but you know, the, the people, and there are people who know exactly who they are, who I won't, you know, I won't walk over the road for, and they know exactly who they are and exactly why I won't do that. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, the criticism is fine. Just play the ball, not the man. Mm. And that's, that'll be fine. <laughs> uh, done and dusted. For another episode, that's it. Uh, Inside the Ropes, episode number 120. Another big week in the world of golf, uh, the Solheim Cup. Uh, the lead on the course and the announcement about Sergio Garcia and CT Pan uh, joining others uh, at the Australian Open in a month, in a couple of months' time. Uh, the headline from a local perspective. Good to see you again, Stace. Thanks for having me, Murray. Good to see Hazy. you again, Hazy. Cheers, Murray. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, episode 120 in the can. We'll be back next week. We'll do it all again.